I'm Jason Lewis. And I'm Todd Deshida. And I'm Thomas Mills. Welcome to Climate Optimists. As a couple concerned citizens, we're on a journey to explore climate solutions and ways each of us can make a difference. Our big announcement this week is starting on October 18th. Our podcast will be moving to an every other week format. We have some exciting new projects we're set to begin this fall with that will help Climate Optimists reach a larger audience, help create more community, and hopefully make it easier for people to get involved, you know, both financially and in terms of their time with helping the climate. So the change will also enable Todd to take more tropical vacations, which are critical to maintaining his bronze skin tone. That's the real reason of why we did it, I think. (laughs) (laughs) If only our listeners could see how pale we all are. Um, Just wait till the middle of this winter. You'll think think pale. Be like a couple of vampires sitting around here. Um, Our second announcement this week is that we have selected the lucky winner of our prize drawing. Our winner is Rachel here from Oregon, and she'll be getting a free home energy audit that will hopefully provide her with a list of the top things she can do to make her home more green and hopefully at the same time save her some green. And Thomas, since the winner is really local to us, you know, if you need any help with the, those measurements, you need Todd to, you know, go crawl in the crawl space or in the attic. I'm sure he'd be more than happy to. Great. I'm, I might have to take you up on that. I'm going to, I don't have the f- confined space training. <laughs> uh, look, we'll, we'll make an exception in this case, Todd. It's okay. <laughs> we need to get you some uh, Climate Optimist branded coveralls and then you could show up and look all official. Everybody likes a guy in uniform, don't they? Like, you know, some coveralls going, come on. It never hurts. I mean, we'll have to get you some props too, like a clip clipboard and a an infrared gun. I don't think it's going to work. I'm pretty much dad botted to the max these days. Uh... <laughs> so on that note, uh, here in the U.S., election season is upon us and with it, big implications for our climate. And, you know, we're down to less than a month until election day. We decided it was a good time to take a look at how climate change is kind of playing out in the midterms and what, you know, kind of the different outcomes might mean for climate progress. But before we go there, Thomas, I hear we've got a reason for hope this week that uh, comes from uh, your stomping grounds. Yes, the uh, federal government here in Australia has recently announced a goal to um, try and prevent any new extinctions of Australian wildlife. So we we, we have a bit of a, a checkered history when it comes to uh, wiping out little critters in Australia. And uh, they're hoping to turn that around with a trajectory to try and improve the, the chances of uh, 110 different species and, and 20 different locations that they're going to uh, uh, step up and, and protect over the next few years. But the issue really is that there are thousands of species that are at risk of climate change. And unfortunately, the same minister uh, just approved a fossil fuel powered nitrogen fertilizer plant in the northwest of Western Australia, right beside Australia's largest gas field. So it does feel like a little bit of uh, giving with one hand and taking with the other, but um, it's, I guess, better than where we were with the prior administration. At least they now realize it's an issue and this is a small step, but it's a step at least. You know, Thomas, I think here in the US, it's we like to have our cake and eat it too when it comes to that kind of stuff. You know, thankfully the Endangered Species Act is in place and doing its job in, in many respects, but 
but yeah, I mean, the reality is anybody who's concerned about biodiversity and, you know, and protecting our, our flora and fauna should be all about, you know, dealing with our carbon emissions because, you know, clearly that's the biggest threat at this point. I, I used to do quite a bit of work in, in Denmark too. And, um, you know, people would say to me, oh, it's fantastic how much you guys in Australia care for your environment. And it's like, well, we've obviously been pretty good with the messaging, but unfortunately the <laughs> the results don't really show that they, uh, that's been much better than um, than dismal <laughs> on a global scale. So, look, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that we've had a very large country and that's meant that, you know, our, our footprint has been relatively small but as the population increases here and we get better and better at exploiting the resource extraction technologies yeah we're kind of pushing a lot of parts of australia to breaking point and and climate change really isn't helping that situation you guys know that the name of this podcast is climate optimists (laughs) right yeah (laughs) sorry i thought it was climate realist (laughs) no i i i think it's good to you know, if we're going to remain credible as we have these discussions, we got to acknowledge the reality that there's a lot that that needs to happen for us to, you know, avert a climate disaster. But I do think, you know, things like this announcement in Australia is incrementally a good thing, right? I mean, it's we need a lot more of those kind of announcements, but it's at least a step in the right direction. So kicking off our main topic today, we thought since we're going to be talking about kind of the stakes for climate change in this election, It might be good as well to explore, you know, really how voters are feeling about climate change and and what's happening, you know, climate related in in the election cycle itself. So, Todd, I know you did a little researching. What did you find in terms of, you know, how climate change is set to play out in in the midterms? Well, not much. I don't (laughs) I don't know if that was a, a lack of my ability to find the information or if they're just really not pushing the issue that much and it could be both but i think there is i think the latter's happening i it it just doesn't seem like even the even the candidates and the current incumbents with like you know really good climate scores and climate history it just doesn't seem like they're really hammering it away out there as an electable issue and it's probably because they know something that we didn't know until i kind of did a little research about what you know current current voters think is important there's a a Pew poll here, and uh, I'll just start reading them down, and you'll figure it out when we get to we get to climate. We've got economy, gun policy, violent crime, healthcare, voting policies, education, Supreme Court appointments, abortion, energy policy, immigration, foreign policy, size and scope of the federal government, and then climate change. <laughs> so that's it's kind of riding like second from the bottom of this list here, which. I don't know. I feel like it doesn't make sense because when you really look at, and I think you, you'll you talk about some of these numbers later about what the American public really thinks about climate change. And it always seems like the numbers are in our favor on that. It seems like people are concerned in the majority. They support policies to combat it. It's just when it comes to electable issues, it's hard. Well, I mean, it, it might be the fact that the the discussion around this is maturing. So in the past, it it was a very divisive issue um, that was sort of split down party lines, but there's more Republicans yeah. are sort of coming on board with the fact that look, we're accepting it. But if you look at gun policy, there's still a you know a, a significant divide between the two parties on sure. on what needs to be done there. 
that it's sort of like, well, okay, we're all on board. Climate change is real and it's it's going to be um, it's something that we've all got to take care of, but it's maybe not the election issue it was before. It's just let's let's get on and get it done. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the voting public too is probably a little closer aligned than the representation is because that's where it gets scary is like a lot of the, you know, if, if you, we get some of these, well, I'll, I'll just say it, you know, a lot, most of the Republican candidates are pretty terrible on the climate issue. And, you know, I just don't think they represent the feelings of their constituency, right? I mean, and that's Definitely the scary not. thing about it is you're, you're probably right that I that the public's probably closer aligned. Well, and, you know, I don't want to take us down a rabbit hole, but, you know, I, I saw similar sort of polls to what you did, Todd, where, you know, climate change is, if it's on the list, it's way down the list. And, you know, you've got other issues that are very close to the top. Um, but we'll get to talking about kind of sentiment on on climate within the U.S. But I think mm-hmm. it doesn't help that, you know, climate change is something that sort of waxes and wanes in people's minds when certain events will happen to them, right? And, right. you know, and and the media tends to cover what's saleable, right? What they think is going to be, you know, marketable to their audience. And although they're doing a better job of covering climate, there's still, you know, a lot of gaps and opportunities where when events occur, connecting the dots for people. And so, you know, if you, all you cover is climate change all the time, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think that sells papers, if you will, as much as some of the other issues do because they're more divisive. Yeah. Well, you know, while we're on the topic of polling and whatnot, are there specific races that, you know, folks who might not be plugged into this election cycle should be focused on when it comes to climate? Yeah, there are some very close races. And, you know, I think people hopefully know where to go to find that stuff, but there's like 538 and Politico has some pretty good information on these tight races, which races to look for. Two really close races are in Georgia and Nevada, and they're both really uh, neck and neck. Georgia has uh, Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnock uh, running against Republican Herschel Walker. And you may have heard Herschel Walker's like an ex-NFL football player, and there's all kinds of stuff about this out there. But um, Herschel Walker was quoted to say, this, this is his, you know, high level take on uh, on climate was uh, the U.S.'s good air decided to float over to China's bad air. So when China gets our good air, then the bad air got to move. Well, how can you argue with that? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, Herschel Walker's not the one. So I guess if we're endorsing somebody, we endorse Raphael Warnock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nevada's in a really tight race. Uh, Adam Laxalt, the challenger, the Republican challenger, is leading by 1.4 points right now. So it's really tight over the incumbent Democrat, Cortez Masto. And I did a quick Google search of, you know, Laxalt's views on climate. And he's, I don't know if he's necessarily a climate denier, but it's its more of the same. It's pretty bad. The wildfires, it's not about climate change. It's, it's just about, you know, we got to manage the forest and solar and wind will never generate enough like renewables will never solve the problem and you know you just hear more of that stuff so we endorse cortez masto (laughs) um there's some there's some governor races that are toss-ups too and and that's also you know important i mean it can really dictate how a state's going to attack climate change well what i was going to say earlier is uh you know we passed 
of course, the Inflation Reduction Act, you would kind of think that the Democrats would be able to really push that as a positive in this upcoming election cycle. But I, I think, and it was obviously great for climate change, the most significant piece of legislation we've ever passed, right? But, you know, I guess when you have economy sitting up there on the top of that pew pole we talked about, I don't know if it's had the time really yet to show dividends, right, on inflation reduction. And right. obviously hasn't had time to show that, you know, clean energy can create jobs. And so I think you're kind of stuck there a little bit and not being able to kind of push something that should be a positive, but it's not going to necessarily be that that hammer that you would like it to be to kind of help you break through in the election. But on that note, what were your thoughts, Jason, and what you saw in your research you know, look, similar to you, there's a lot of tight races out there. And while climate change might not be the deciding issue in those races, mm-hmm. uh, those races will decide how we address climate change as a country. So yeah, um, for those of us who recognize the urgency and recognize that we still have a lot of work to do, you know, this election is is very critical. That being said, I went back and took a look at the Yale program on climate communication that does an annual survey of voters across the U.S. And the data there is a little more heartening, and you may have seen some of it too. You know, it talks about the fact that 64% of the country is at least somewhat worried about climate change, and 30% is very worried. And, you know, again, I don't know why those numbers aren't translating to climate change being, you know, an issue that's higher on the list. But mm-hmm. at least it's it's progress. And I know European listeners are probably going, only 64% are somewhat worried. <laughs> but you got to know the history of the U.S. and the fact that this used to be an issue where people didn't really even believe it was an issue because of the propaganda put forth by the you know fossil fuel industry. So I think that's progress. And to know that a third of the country is very worried is good. And, and you know, we should be. So that's positive. I think in that same survey, the other you know, stat that really stood out to me was that basically two thirds of folks rarely discuss global warming with with family or friends. And so I think there we have a big opportunity, right? And I don't know how you how you change those numbers, but certainly it builds upon itself, right? And the more people start to talk about it, the more it, it you know, percolates up. So mm-hmm. when I read through all the other stuff, I mean, that was the number that stood out to me the most is like we as Americans really have an opportunity to start, you know, talking more about climate change with each other and solutions, et cetera. The other thing that that stood out to me is, you know, despite how it ranks as a as a voter issue, you know, you've got an organization called Climate Power, which is founded by a number of nonprofits here in the US, environmental nonprofits, and they're actually doing a $10 million ad push this election cycle in in battleground states. To try to do some of that work that you were talking about that maybe candidates aren't doing and educating voters about the benefits of the Inflation Reduction Act. So that'll be something I'd be you know really interested in hearing post-election, how people receive that messaging. Because you know, if you can do it right, certainly you can have a benefit. But as you pointed out, it, you know, in terms of reducing inflation, uh, it's gonna take a while if it if it you know ends up doing that anyway. I, I wouldn't hold out for it to uh reduce inflation. I think that's going to be around for a while longer yet. I think it was a it was a great idea really by the marketing department. Hey, whatever it takes to get climate policy across the finish line, you know. 
Well, yeah, and judging from the way things might go, we might be feel very fortunate we got that pass when we did. And and speaking of that, do you have any predictions on uh, you know what you think is going to happen? Do you think that Democrats are going to hold the Senate and and lose the House, or how do you think that's going to go? You know, predictions are dangerous, and I'm certainly not a political pundit. Put your um, money down. <laughs> <laughs> but don't get scared now. I I do think slightly optimistic that at least we'll end up with a split chamber here where we have, mm-hmm. you know, the Senate will be in Democrat hands and, and the House probably ends up Republican. And there are still some Republicans in the House who are willing to talk about climate change. So in that scenario, you could still see there being some incremental things getting done. So, mm-hmm. you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. You know, as we're talking about, you know, potential election predictions, I think we also have to kind of call out the fact that there's still you know, a gap in terms of what the U.S. has pledged um, in terms of the Paris Accord and and current U.S. policy. And, you know, Thomas, I don't know if you want to walk us through kind of like where we are, where we need to be, and then what, you know, types of things we might want to be thinking about if we do get the election outcome that we're hoping for. Yeah, well, the um, the Paris target was a 50 to 52 percent cut by 2030, and the current trajectory with the Inflation Reduction Act is 40 percent by 2030. Um, so that's it's going to leave us with basically a, a two degree warming limit, um, which is going to cause you know, massive pain and suffering for many people around the world. Um, and we, we all went to the Paris meeting in 2015 and agreed that 1.5 degrees was a number that we needed to hit. Um, and yeah, we put a massive number of loopholes in there big enough to drive a bus through but at the end of the day the science hasn't changed we we need to push harder um or we'll face the consequences so above and beyond the inflation reduction act there's still a lot that can be done and be be that through biden's executive actions or other means um at at state at state levels there's there's a lot that can be done around building code around planning around state-based energy efficiency schemes I was just reading through the International Building Code, which is the basis of many of the building codes for U.S. states, and and there there there's a lot of work that can be done. But unfortunately, there's pressure by uh, building developers to have these standards watered down so they can keep building cookie cutter houses. But at the end of the day, it ends up costing everybody, the climate, um, as well as the people that dwell in those places. So. Yeah, hopefully that Biden steps up to the plate and still declares a climate emergency and and puts additional actions on top of what's there because it's looking that the um, you know between the House and the Senate he he mightn't have as much power going forward to get things done through other means. You know, especially given that Australia, the U.S. and Europe did a lot to create the historical carbon emissions. You know, we we need to be leading the world out of this. We we shouldn't be saying, look, you know, doing adequate is enough. We need to go above and beyond. Mm. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, the one point five degree target is is not something that was pulled out of a hat. It's it's there for a reason. And so, you know, I would argue that even the U.S.'s pledge of fifty to fifty two percent, it's still not enough, right? If if we know that one point five degrees is this essential target then we should be setting, if anything, our targets more ambitiously, right? And I know that's not the reality of where we are right now, but that doesn't mean that we can't keep, you know, putting the pressure on our politicians to, you know, to make those kind of pledges. And, you know, Europe has made progress there. And so I think the same can be true in the US if if all of us who care about this as an issue put it front and center. 
Yeah, it's a scenario that we're walking into where we've got absolutely no margin of safety. In fact, we know we've eroded our safety margins to you know, negative and um, it's just, it's diabolical when you think of what the uh, potential consequences are. So you know, as Western and developed nations, we, we really need to you know, go in harder so that we're not all suffering you know, moving forward. How do you see things playing out, Jason? You know, similarly, I think that even if we end up with good news, there's still going to be a pretty closely divided, you know, Congress. In other words, even if the Democrats were to hold on to uh, the the House and the Senate, they're not going to have a lot of votes to spare. And so I think, honestly, the most surefire way to get stuff done right now is through executive action. And I'm with you that, you know, we need to be declaring a climate emergency. It is an emergency. Mm-hmm. There's there's no doubt about that. And so um, I did read an article where it was talking about Biden's climate team. There's indications that they're leaning more in, in the direction of taking more executive action and kind of pulling back from working with Congress, maybe because of the recognition that, you know, even if the election turns out in the Democrats' favor and you have a party that's more interested in doing something on climate, that the Inflation Reduction Act was the big prize that that we got done for now. There's still a lot of work to be done on on building energy efficiency, and you know that's actually something that's had bipartisan support in the past. So maybe that's another opportunity area. But yeah, I think the at this point, knowing that we have finite time, executive action is is going to be, I think, the best tool in the next couple of years to get things done on climate. And I think we, you know, we just cross our fingers that our you know kind of climate leaders in the Senate and the House are able to continue sort of that you know, persistent push like they did with the Inflation Reduction Act and trying to find areas of common ground. So yeah, um, I, I guess the message is we need to get people out to vote. We need to, you know, mobilize and we need to be volunteering and, and giving financially if we, you know, want want to end up with that, you know, climate-friendly majority. So I guess the question is, as US voters, what are you two doing to help maintain this climate-friendly majority? None of your goddamn. Todd, I'll let you go first. (laughs) (laughs) Dare you question me? No, I can go first. Yeah, you go first, Jason. So I I have. uh, You go first while I think up an answer. (laughs) So, so I've already given to uh, a number of candidates that are you know in Senate races that are very tight, hoping you know to probably give a little bit more before we actually hit election day on on November eighth, but. I am committed to doing uh, what I did last election cycle, which is calling registered voters to try to get them out to the polls and, and to vote. So, you brown nose and <laughs> well, as doing this research tells me, I obviously need to go give uh, give some donations to uh, to Warnock and uh, Cortez Cortez Masto so that they can beat these yahoos they're running against. Also, I'll have to get I'll have to get hooked up with you, Jason. Maybe I need to sign up for this phone thing, like to make these calls. Maybe maybe that would be a good thing for me to do. And I don't know if you remember, but once upon a time, oh my gosh, maybe almost twenty years ago now, you and I did door to door knocking to get out the vote. I do, and I it it's crazy to me to to remember back onto how many people just like invited us into their house. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's a lot of trust. Like, if I saw us show up, I wouldn't invite us in. <laughs> I mean, anytime anybody knocks on my door, I just low crawl around and try to see who it is and don't answer. You know, I low crawl like I'm, you know, in a war zone or something. Like, I will say right now, though, I could, 
provide a, a few websites if people want to uh, check out some pro-climate candidates. You mentioned Climate Power earlier. You can go to climatepower.us. They have like a section there of Senate climate champions that they kind of profile, which is pretty cool. Uh, there's also a site out there called voteclimatepack.org, and they have lists with multiple incumbent and challenger scorecards on there. And they have all these different rating systems of how they've rated them on climate. That's pretty helpful. I don't think they have a lot of the Senate stuff up there, which is kind of disappointing, but they have a ton of the House stuff up there. So if you're looking at races in your area or looking for races to donate to, you can check that out. Also, uh, there's scorecard.lcv.org, which is provided by the League of Conservation Voters. And they've scored you know, politicians over the course of their, their career on climate. You can check that out as well. Yeah, I, I think it's good for us to all be kind of versed. I mean, I remain hopeful that we're going to have more Republicans to finally step up and, and, you know, lead on climate. Unfortunately, by and large right now, it is Democrats that, you know, are actually taking action on climate. So, you know, that's a pretty good segue into what can we do. And now that Thomas put us both on the spot, I'll encourage everybody to uh, to get out and, you know, either volunteer or or give financially as well. A lot of these campaigns rely on small donations, so it doesn't have to be big dollars to to have an impact. And and they're also certainly interested in you know in anybody who wants to volunteer to you know help get voters out you know et cetera. There are two organizations you know worth checking out that are you know working on the election cycle and climate specifically, and that's the Environmental Defense Action Fund. We'll have links to, to you know the sites Todd talked about as well as these on our website. But the Environmental Defense Action Fund is you know providing opportunities for people to to both donate and and to volunteer. And another organization that has you know a lot of good opportunities to get involved is is Climate Change Makers. And so we'll link both of those on our website. But if you're you know looking for ways to to plug in, those are both good options. So with that, that's a wrap. Uh, for this week's episode. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Come back next week when we'll be exploring the topic of methane emissions with a guest from the Union of Concerned Scientists. Climate Optimus is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimus.co. And don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimus Podcast. Mm-hmm.